Chocolate. 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 From Dame Cacao, I'm Max Gandy, and this is Chocolate on the Road, the show where we explore hot topics surrounding cacao and chocolate cultures around the world. So let's hit the road. Thailand is hot. The country of curries and pad thai, beaches and elephants, and now a growing chocolate scene. Thailand is located in Southeast Asia, just south of China and Myanmar, and sharing borders with Laos, Cambodia, and Malaysia. Similar to nearby Vietnam, cacao has been cultivated in Thailand for over a century. It was once a bustling industry, but has since faded into the background. That is, until very recently. In this episode, we'll explore the history and impact of cacao and chocolate in Thailand. And we'll start where it all began, in the South. A few dozen miles from Thailand's border with Myanmar is the province of Chumpon. Just outside the main city is the Chumpon Horticultural Research Center. There, some of the country's leading agronomists study crops important to the Thai economy. Historically, this has included coffee, coconuts, and cacao. I spoke with a researcher at the center through a Thai-speaking friend, both of whom would prefer to remain anonymous. This researcher was able to shed a lot of light on how cacao came to Thailand in the first place. And it starts all the way in the south, near the border with Malaysia. What do you know about the history of cacao and chocolate here in Thailand? Cacao, as we know, came to Thailand 116 years ago. Uh, it originally came first to the south of Thailand, and they started growing it in the south of Thailand first. Who was growing it? Because Thailand has never been colonized. It was originally introduced by uh, Malaysia, by Malaysian farmers. And at first, when it came to Thailand, the Cacao beans were obscure because farmers and people didn't recognize the purpose and the use of cacao. And only a few years later, in 1952, the government started subsidizing and making cacao more accessible to farmers by subsidizing and, you know, um, promoting the cultivation of cacao. It was actually a, a hybrid of a bean that came from overseas and it was the PA7 and NA32 breed, and they made a hybrid of that. And then the Shumpon Laboratory, they developed that further into the bean that we have from 1989. So in 1989, they developed the Shumpon 1 varietal by crossing the PA7 and the NA32? Yes. Where are those two varietals from? So she said she wasn't sure the exact origin of these two breeds, but she said that uh, they came from Trinidad, from uh, Dr. Han. Why did they decide to develop this varietal specifically for Thailand? The hybrid that they have, they didn't actually originally make it for Thailand. They gave it to countries all around the world, but we saw that it gave us a higher yield, and so we adapted it further to suit our land. So as she said before, um, south of Thailand, the growth there started declining. The east, like Chantaburi, started growing more cacao. And because in the east there are a lot of factories, a lot of cacao powder factories, it 
created like a market for the cacao producers and so they started growing but then the cacao powder factories demanded more than the producers could provide so they started importing from indonesia but the import tax and tariffs from indonesia were were too high so they closed the cacao powder factories down and so only when like cad cocoa and paradise chocolate when they started winning awards in international competitions was cacao like recognized among farmers and producers in Thailand again. So when when was this? Was this the late 90s that the CM Coco was just lowering too much and they were importing Indonesian cacao and they closed down recently only about 5 or 6 years ago. Hmm. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. So 2013 the processing plant in the east really the processing industry in the east finished and then maybe two or three years ago when people started making chocolate and last year when they started winning awards yeah it re-energized the cocoa industry in thailand yeah does this have anything to do with the growth of cacao in indonesia and malaysia she thinks that there is no correlation between indonesia's cultivation of cacao because she said during that time where cacao cultivation started declining there were other crops that had better value than cacao originally such as palm rubber and coffee beans and so they they started growing those instead so what do local cacao farmers think of growing cacao is it just another crop or is there something more special farmers don't really judge the value of cacao based on the finished product like chocolate but she said that farmers judge the value of cacao based on what price companies are willing to buy their raw materials and that can fluctuate pretty often so so there's no sense of pride in contributing to a local product it's just yeah it's just what companies are willing to buy they produce according to that While not all farmers may see the connection cacao has to other industries, the chocolate makers definitely see the connection. Bangkok, Thailand's capital city, is the center of Thai trends, and it's the first stop for most visitors. It's also where most of the chocolate cafes are, including Kad Kokoa, one of the older chocolate makers in Thailand. My name is Nataya Chunhasawadikun. I I I am a lawyer. My husband. Hi, um, my name is Aniti Chunasawadikun. We are both lawyers. Yeah. And zero investors. Nataya and Paniti only opened their cafe in spring 2018, about a year and a half ago. But the couple was studying agriculture in the north for a couple of years before taking that step. We started um, cacao business because we thought about we could retire in the north of thailand we watched a lot of films and a lot of tv uh, about 2 to 3 years ago when the king rama the ninth yeah. passed away passed away it was part of our inspiration to to do something just like the king mm. he was helping a lot of uh, the thai nation yeah. farmers in thailand and at the time the king rama ninth passed away we think that is quite touched and we didn't realize 
that he has done a lot of things to help the people in the nation. So actually, we thought that we just working get yeah. just we, like thinking about money. Yeah, and what we have we had been doing didn't bring us anything much more than of course money, but the health is getting was getting worse. So it took us about six months to find a place to live or a place to settle. So eventually, we decided to buy a, a piece of land, which is nowadays part of our processing facility outside of Chiang Mai. And we we wanted to grow something, right? Yeah. We didn't want to buy a land and just leave it untouched or or build some concrete, anything anymore. Initially, we started with a uh, fig. Later on, we were introduced to cacao instead. And of course, the word cacao and chocolate—you don't have to imagine, right? As soon as you you hear this word, you you're like, "What? Chocolate?" Did you know what cacao was when they were showing you the tree? Mm, no. no, no. Just only the word cacao and chocolate triggered us enough, but we didn't do anything. We were introduced to the farm, which we are we are unveiling it, revealing it today, called MTT Farm. It was the first farm that. Kat Koko eventually uh, won the award, the first award, from this work of this farm with us. They were introduced to MTT Farm thanks, in fact, to Jumpon Horticultural Research Center. The owner of the farm, who has since passed away, was a huge proponent for growing Jumpon Won across Thailand, and he had support in royally high places. MTT Farm was founded by... Director Mueang Kao Chai Suya. So we have just been allowed to mention the name by the son, who is the the owner now. So who is Dr. Mueang Kao Chai Suya? Dr. Mueang Kao Chai Suya was a director, the director of Wawi Highland Agricultural Station in Chiang Rai. He was the very academic, passionate about um, Thai produce, among other things, coffee and cacao. He was the one who reports to the king whenever the king visited Wawi uh, Highland Station. Also worked with Chumpon Horticultural Center because both the station that he works he worked before, as well as Chumpon, they were part of the Ministry of Agriculture. So it was the government official. So since then, it was at least twenty years ago that his cacao pots, his cacao trees, have been growing in this land. For the farmers, I think they just think about how after they grow, how they can sell. Yeah. They don't have the market. They want to make yeah. sure that there's market for them. Yeah. To invest their time and plot of their land to grow cacao, they want to make sure. This is every time we go to the to the farm, when they want to come to listen to us, they say we want to make sure that you will buy, and we tell the same thing. We will buy. We want to make sure that you. Also, grow good cacao, take care of them, and produce good beans. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Some listen, some don't. Some believe that oh no, we heard also that it's a big trend right now. And in terms of big trend, it's only a loud voice in the media. On the other hand, we have a problem of shortage of cacao mm. beans yeah. right now. This year, mm. yeah, because farmers in some farms, instead of making cacao beans for us to make chocolate. Now, if you call any chocolate maker, they will tell you the same thing that ah, farmers now they 
like saplings inside mm. because it's faster and, sh- and much more money for them at the moment mm. but we predict that it's going to be only a year or two now because everyone is doing that and it's going to flood the market once the cacao pods come out in the market yeah. how much are they selling the saplings for why is it so lucrative oh now the one sapling goes up to 50 or 100 baht yeah Yeah. Well, it's like a dollar and a half, yeah. $3. Imagine yeah. this in one pot. Yeah. You have 40 beans. Yeah. You make like a lot of money from one pot instead yeah. of selling a pot. If they sell pots to their collective, they get small money. If they make into cacao beans, of course, they have more value added. But this is a hundred times more. They call they, they sell saplings now. Mm. But it's only up to a certain limit, it's up to a certain period of time. Nobody can grow that much mm. because if you don't know how to how to make into chocolate, you only can sell cacao pods. And who's going to buy from you? If, if if chocolate makers today we don't have cacao to make into chocolate, and we have to close down the business, what will happen, right? Yeah. You will then have to wait for a Western company to come and buy bulk cacao from you again, and the price will drop. And again. also the knowledge of fermentation farmers, you know, is not. Up to that standard, yeah. Our cacao, Thai cacao, was regarded as bulk cacao, so that's what we. Are, our mission is trying to get rid of that notion and bring back Thai cacao as a premium cacao. On the other hand, in the cafe, Nutaya and Paniti work with their team to craft uniquely Thai flavors. Their lineup of currently four origins also features inclusion bars. For example, perilla seeds and salted tamarind bits, but most popular are the colder items like the iced chocolate drinks. Have I mentioned how hot Thailand is? Thailand, we used to grow cacao in the past as a bulk cacao, but mm. now we try to make it premium product. Yeah, I know everyone likes Thailand for tourism, Thai food. Hopefully, you can cut cacao. And as part of it, yeah, right? fine food culture. Right. Yes, but as expected, that's easier said than done. Chocolates from the big company, you you can imagine there will be a lot of additives, shortening, whatever they put in there. It's been like that for so long that if you bite into any commercial chocolate, you you only expect sweetness. You only expect some chocolatey taste, yeah. right? And it's it's now hard to convince uh, customers to enjoy the premium or craft chocolate. Mm, the taste of the real cacao. Yeah, yeah. Because it's know. teaching people the difference between chocolate and chocolate flavored. Most people just have chocolate as a flavor. Right. Yeah, as candy bar, right. not exactly. chocolate bar. Uh, yeah, a lot of time people, you know, customers who come to our store and sit there and ask, "Why your chocolate is so sour? It's fruity. I don't expect anything like that. Don't you use any uh, high price um, cocoa powder like like Starbucks use? Mm-hmm. You know, why don't you try Starbucks? And, and <laughs> that, that's something that's so hard for us to to suppress. We can't get mad at them because you know they're they right. Know. They don't yeah. know. They've been eating like that. Who we blame from the the culture that had been instilled into them like that before, and it's from the whole value chain. Big companies want to produce something candy, confectionery like, and they cannot move much on the basis point of the cost of goods, right? So mm. beans have to be cheap, 
how would you describe the difference between Thai cacao and all other cacaos in the world? What makes Thai cacao special? I think probably because we are new to the world now. Mm. Everyone just want to test the cacao beans from Thailand. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So we, our character is like um, quite fruity. We cannot say that Thai cacao is better than anyone. No, we. I think we have a, a distinctive taste of Thai cacao in itself. Cacao trees are grown in, you know, alongside the bank of the canal like that. And the green one, is that's not the Chumpon variety, or it is? I it's thought Chumpon variety. It's the yellow. Actually, it's that yellow, is. but this one, you know, we picked it before it's, it was. It we, was because this light. one, we we just um, went to the farm before the squirrel will we, get them. <laughs> so we try to 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 get it. These farms that we we have found, the trees will be at least twenty years old. But farmers, for example, in Ampawa, almost gave up. He gave up. Actually, he he's in the in the late seventies, eighties already. So mm. he doesn't want to do anymore. So we have to convince him again that you don't have to do it. We will help you. We have to send our team to go in and help. First of all, right now our mission is to fend off the squirrels. That's the biggest pest. Yes. Yeah. The squirrels will eat all your cacao pots and leave it like uh, bats, you know, yeah. <laughs> hanging on the, on the cacao trees. And, and the uncle will say, oh, I, I, I cannot fight with it anymore. Okay, hear me out. Squirrels may be cute, but they can devastate a cacao crop. The same goes for rats. But don't just take my word for it. On the farm, there are other products such as limes and papaya and passion fruit, but most of that he actually has it grows it for the rats and the squirrels, so they don't eat the, so they don't eat the, so they don't eat the cacao. But they do eat the fruits themselves too. But that's the added benefit is to try to detract the squirrels away from the cacao. Oh my yeah. god! <laughs> and it works. Well, you saw <laughs> not all the way. And it usually yeah. works. <laughs> Some yeah, sometimes. This is Nui, a farmer in Chiang Rai province, which borders Myanmar. His name is Napon Pitmon Sakun Raksa. His nickname is Nui. And he has started off as a cocoa farmer here. This is entering the fifth year, and he has 750 cacao trees at present. What cacao varietals do you grow on the farm right now, and how are they processed before they're turned into chocolate eventually? The varietals that he uses are Shumpon 1, and they haven't started processing yet. That's something that they're testing out presently. The, there is definitely hope in the future to do the process, fermentation and processing on site, but that's something that they need to learn about in the future and in terms of not only processing but also grafting and other knowledge of how to um, expand that he said it's all time. Chiang Rai isn't a region Kad Kokoa currently works with but it's become a hub for Thai cacao in the last couple of years. In particular Chumpon Wan, the varietal Nui grows on his farm. Before he acquired his land in 1997 he was a farmer on the other side of town he mostly grew corn and soy, but these days he deals in coffee and cacao. 
While coffee has already made a big difference in his ethnic minority community, cacao hasn't yet proven itself. You planted cacao five years ago because you saw a future for the crop, but what did it cost you to actually plant that cacao? Already owning the land, what was what were the other inputs like? The initial investment really wasn't too much. Um, that for the 780 trees, plus adding a a water system in, onto the property, the total was around 80,000 baht. Said, is it a lot? Well. To some, it, it may be, but for us, it's a long-term investment uh, where we think that we have to put some money up front now, but in the long term, it will be a, it'll be a crop that will continually bring us back profit. I'm just, is this a common mindset of thinking about relatively far in the future for farmers mm. in this area and farmers in Thailand in general? He's a provincial leader anyway, and... Um, so one of, as one of the village leaders, he was also the first to grow cacao. And he said trying to explain it to the villagers is difficult. It's best to just go ahead and do it and let them see the, and see what happens. Just kind of see the fruition, if you will, of it. See the benefits. Yeah, the benefits. And he said he had explained to many in the beginning that this is what he calls a, a golden fruit, you know, and, and that if you look after it, it will be something that continuously gives back to you. And now that it's four years down the road, people come in, come to look at it some, come to steal from him some. But the end result is that there there is finally the awareness and the acknowledgement that this is, in fact, a very good crop to grow and one that has a lot of long-term benefits. So people are finally starting to come around. But trying to tell people, especially like Upper Hill Tribes people, how to do stuff is very difficult. He said they have to see results first. So if everyone in your community were to add some amount of cacao to their land, what do you hope this would do for the community? The way that he sees it is that this is something that the exchange of ideas and knowledge will be um, very fluid where they said there will not be any any sort of keeping secrets in terms of what the price is of. He said that's impossible to do anyway, given the current status of how using social media and stuff says. But to lead and to make sure that people understand the world markets and how they can grow optimally to fit these markets so that they get a, a high price, a general an openness of information seems to be his the crux. He wants it to be something that's beneficial, not to just a few people, but to to everybody. So people can work and live on their land comfortably. Nui is a leader in his community. His title roughly translates as Deputy Prime Minister of the province. So every morning, he spends a few hours in the office, filing papers and addressing issues. And then he comes back to the farm to take care of the land. Income from the office doesn't amount to much. So he and his wife both work every single day to maintain the farm. When she's not working, Nui's wife heads up to a nearby tourist area to sell crafts made by the women in her community. The couple's two older children migrated to Japan and Korea for work. So after everything he told me, I had just one more question for Nui. It was partially directed towards his 15-year-old son, who was sitting right next to me. 
Do you want your kids to become farmers as well? And if not, are there any values that you've learned from being a farmer that you would like them to carry on to whatever jobs they do in the future? He said, yes, he would like to have his children to be involved in it. But he goes on, he kind of sidesteps that a little bit uh, to say that most people at the moment really don't see agricultural industry as something that is secure. It's not a secure income. He said, however, what he's trying to do and eventually teach them by them just seeing the work, right, is that if you have your eyes set on an agricultural product that has many levels of income, so Yes, you can grow and you can sell the beans, but then somebody else goes ahead and makes it into chocolate that it has a multi-level of, uh, of, of what do you, yeah. Then he says that it's something that will continue to, to give back and that they, his children will see that maybe he won't see the benefits of it immediately, he said, but his children will see that what they have before them is basically a bank because it will be something that if they take care of it, that it will continuously be a source of profit for them. Nui just wants cacao to help his community stay on the land and live comfortable lives. Lives like they feel like they could find if they moved to the city. In particular, a city like Chiang Mai, where May is from. My name is May. I'm the founder of the page in the blog, Bean Blah Blah. It's a blog about craft chocolate. May's blog focuses on Thai chocolate, with the goal of introducing craft chocolate to the Thai market. Heading a few hours southwest of Nui in Chiang Rai is May's family farm in Chiang Mai. We're sitting in a wooden structure near the entrance to the farm, with a kitten at our feet. There are banana and longan trees all around, and taking a breath is refreshing. And it's completely different from where May was a year ago going on eight years living in Shanghai, China. When did you first hear about craft chocolate? When I first hear? Um, actually, I'm, I, I'm not a big fan of chocolate earlier because most chocolate, it's very sweet. And I don't like anything sweet. But I, I fall in love in chocolate because I like coffee first. And once I realized that, oh, there's a also very unique character of cacao beans as well. And it's also... Uh, transfer to the chocolate. So that's what I get interest in craft chocolate. So what made you decide to bring it back to Thailand? I mean, you were living in Shanghai at the time, right? Right, right. Um, back then, I felt like the craft chocolate has got a lot of potential to be something as like a trendy or something that people can can appreciate because we have... We have so many good coffee specialty around the country, um, more and more. And I think sooner or later, people get interest in craft chocolate anyway. Two years ago, where was the Thai chocolate industry at the end of 2017? Some of us still gather all the information from whatever we can get. Like We all fly out to learn about craft chocolate, how to taste them, learn about the place where people grow them, like Peru. Or we learn about how to process them from Taiwan, from Malay, from Philippines, from everywhere. Like, like all of us just go out and get more information and try to bring that back home. Back then, it's still niche. 
but yet a lot of people want to get hands on this industry already. So two years ago, there was almost no chocolate being made in Thailand. There are some, but it's still very baby steps, like more like experimental steps. Back then, it's not many people know about chocolate. And when is back then? It's like um, 2016. And so right now, your role in the industry is running some of some workshops. Yes, yes. Uh, all the the first two years. It's focused on blocking, so I write a lot and I talk to a lot of people, so I get to know a lot, as much as people as I could, and not everybody understand craft chocolate. So the group it's very small. Most of May's workshops are held in Bangkok or Chiang Mai, two of the largest tourist hubs in the country. She's on what you might call the front lines of chocolate in Thailand. I was curious what kinds of reactions Thai consumers have had to craft chocolate. So on the consumer side, what would you say is the taste of Thai consumers in their craft chocolate? I'd done quite a lot of workshop throughout the past two years, like almost 20 workshop. Part of it, it's so I get to know what's Thai flavor or Thai favorites. Um, I think most of the comment or the feedback after they taste Thai beans, like Thai cacao beans, or Thai crafted chocolate. They felt it's too fruity. It's too like acidity, too too much of the fruitiness of it. Their first imagine they would thought like chocolate supposed to be bitter and sweet, and that should be it. But when I let them try the beans, they all like, "Whoa, this is something new," and half of them are not. They don't really like very fruity. Chocolate. They still prefer something more like nutty and bitter. Yeah, I, I I find it that way. But I I don't know. Maybe people change. Is that what traditional Thai sweets are like? Are sweets in Thailand more bitter and sweet and contrast? Uh, no. I think our dessert it's just heavier and creamy because we have coconut milk base, so everything is so creamy. And super sweet. We're so heavy on sweet. Um, even like Central Thai, some dish like curry also has this sweetness in it. Not just the, yeah, not not just dessert. But I think what people get familiar with bitterness and sweetness, it's came from coffee. Because mm. if you imagine like, or Thai tea, it's so sweet, right? And when people drink coffee, they do the same. They drink. A sweet coffee with condensed milk, so very sweet milk, and I think they tend to relate it chocolate with coffee or tea, not dessert. Are there any more uniquely Thai flavors you've noticed makers using? Um, you mean in terms of flavoring, yeah. like like additional? Additions, yeah. Um, maybe unique sugar. Because mostly people use fine sugar, right? Like white the, sugar, the white sugar. The, the white sugar. But because in Thailand we have quite different kind of sugar, like sugar from, from coconut. The rest is not nothing fancy. I think because most maker they want to make a good chocolate first, and once that chocolate get into the market, then they can step further to the next level, like explore in more flavor. People look at it when when some makers submit their chocolate to international chocolate awards and they get some awards. 
which very nice. So it bring all attention to Thai cacao. But I think sometimes it's when it's getting popular too fast or like getting the the attention too fast, it make the whole thing grow too fast. Then it may it may um, it may affect the foundation because we haven't we haven't set the foundation strong, and when it grow too fast, it tend to easily fall. You know, it's like you build something and you need some strong foundation. And that's what I'm afraid of, because our beans it's not really good, and we just at the very beginning in this industry. Like look at the U.S. Like they've been doing this for, I don't know, ten, fifteen years. Like in KL in Malaysia, they they have been doing this for more than ten years. Um, and they're getting slow but steady, but we are getting quite fast and not steady at all. So some of us may face some problem or situation of finding beans, good quality beans, real soon for a good price. Yeah, for a good price as well. And most of us don't even know what is good quality chocolate tastes like, and that could be a challenge. With all this fast growth. Thailand's cacao and chocolate industry could break before it really starts. As a whole, the beans aren't high enough quality and volume to meet the demand brought by this attention. And some businesses could crumble in the face of this as prices for cacao continue to rise. Our researcher at the Chumphon Horticultural Center put it like this: She says that there's a lot of potential in Thai cacao growing, but because there's asymmetric information between Companies and farmers, so the companies don't really paint the full picture for farmers to really see the value of Thai cacao. So they don't really feel that incentivized to grow. So they don't grow as much as disconnect. They should, yeah. So there's like a disconnection between uh, companies and farmers. And she also said that uh, she felt the government could help cacao farmers by providing the information that they need and giving them more education. Maybe subsidizing some of the processes of cacao growing, so that would enable more to be produced. More production is precisely what Thailand needs and is getting, but unfortunately, it's at the expense of providing local chocolate makers with affordable cacao now. If we want to create that incentive for more Thai farmers to plant cacao at a reasonable pace. Then, for at least a few more years, we need to keep more Thai cacao in Thailand. By leaving the value-adding country of origin, the local industry can continue growing at a sustainable rate. And for as long as we can grow cacao, we can enjoy more Thai-made, Thai-sourced chocolate at home and on the road. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chocolate on the Road. If you liked it, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts, and share it in any way you see fit. Your support makes all the effort put into each episode worth it. And especially huge thank you to Tun and Natalie for their great job interpreting, and to Nataya Paniti Nui May and our Chumpon researcher for being in this episode. To learn more about our guests, check out the show notes for this episode at the link in the description or on my website at deancacao.com. 
That's D-A-M-E-C-A-C-A-O dot C-O-M. Have a wonderful day, and I hope you'll join me next time we go on the road. Thank you.